You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Hallelujah, he's risen. All right, a little rusty, but we'll get there. Hey, there's seven weeks of Easter tide. It wasn't just a huge party in bounce houses once, okay? We have like, it's, it's a huge party in metaphorical bounce houses for seven straight weeks until we hit Pentecost. And in these seven weeks, we get to do this really wonderful journey with the early church as they try to make sense of everything that just happened in their witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus. These were really, if you think about it, put yourself in that early church community. These were weird times. These were really strange days. There was a new world emerging in the risen Jesus. It wasn't just some sort of miracle for miracle's sake or some like showboating of some sort saying, see, I'm God. It wasn't just the verification of who Jesus was. Jesus was actually getting it done. He was freeing all of humanity and creation. He was inaugurating this new world that he would bring about in his kingdom. I know that no matter how many times I can say those sentences over and over again, some will just always hear that as like inspiration or sentiment. But please, can I just slap you around a little bit and say, look, do not be fooled. This may sound sweet. This may be heartwarming. This may feel sentimental. But this means change. This means change for all of creation, change for your life. New, new world, new life, new means change. New world means that the old world that was there is now disrupted and overthrown. New creation that we talk about in baptism and in Christ, new creation means that the old creation, the old you is no longer there, but it is new. It means change. Now, you and I, because of the resurrection, our lives have actually changed. We are now not just a collection of individuals, people with like really sketchy pasts or problems, you know. We are a resurrection people. We're a people whose lives are more identified with the new creation than anything else in your own life. Think about that. There's not a single thing, if I was to meet you and a total stranger and you're part of the church, you're resurrection people, there's not something more important that identifies you in your whole life than the resurrection of Jesus now. That's a lot to take in. I mean, I'm sympathetic to this. This isn't just rhetoric. This is a lot to take in. I had a conversation, I think it was, it was sometime in Holy Week. The whole thing was a blur, so I don't know when things happened. Uh, but I had this conversation on Facebook with someone who commented on our, I think it was our Easter Sunday service, and he was saying, look, if I could really see Jesus Christ, that would settle a lot of things. If I come to your church, will I see Jesus? And I know this is a little tongue-in-cheek, he's probably trolling a little bit, whatever. But still, I think it's so, uh, such an interesting question, and it, and it still haunts me. I was thinking about it even this week. I don't blame them, actually. Can you blame a person like that who wants to see Jesus? With all that we have to now process about being identified as a resurrection people and the resurrection of Jesus and the new creation, the new life we have in him, isn't it a lot to take in? Wouldn't it be nice to just be able to see the wounded and risen Jesus and and put to rest all those doubts and the ways that we're trying to make sense of this? How critical it would be to see him with our own eyes. 
Can you imagine how your life would change if you saw Jesus? Like, what would you do different tomorrow? Seriously, think about this. The risen Jesus shows up, our doors are locked, and he says, my peace be with you. And he breathes on you and gives you a spirit. In Austin, Texas in 2019, what would change in your life tomorrow if you saw Jesus? I wonder what that would settle for you in your heart. Maybe in your mind. What questions would that answer? What, what peace would that give you? What fear would be put aside? What anxiety or stress, what thing that haunts you right now, if you saw the risen, if he appeared to you and I right now, showed us his wounds, what would be changed in your life? What would be made new? Well, this is exactly what was happening to these disciples in the early church. I mean, imagine this. You're hiding because you're afraid of being persecuted and harassed. And guess who shows up in these locked doors, maybe in the middle of a meal, but the resurrected Jesus. And he was unveiling not only himself to them, but he was unveiling his plan to them. That it wasn't just about him being raised from the dead, but he was actually bringing with him a new creation, a kingdom of God that would last forever. That's a lot to take in. Well, our readings from Revelation, I don't know if you could hear that, if you heard that today. We don't have all those bells. Should we bring them back? I have a little bit of PTSD from those bells. That was like a lot. What was really nice about today, you could hear the readings, and now you could hear my preaching. It's great. But I do love the bells. And did you notice, by the way, the psalm that says, like, make a ton of noise? So it was biblical, okay? If you didn't like it, our bells were biblical. Well... A reading from the book of Revelation came from John, who we are led to believe is the same author of the letters of John, perhaps the gospel of John. After the resurrection, you know how his life was changed? Things were made new in his life? Yes. He went proclaiming the good news and was sent to an ancient version of Alcatraz, a prison island. That's not what we think about when we think about resurrection life, right? Being isolated on an island called Patmos, off the coast of modern-day Turkey, somewhere in the Mediterranean. And he was sent there because he had witnessed the risen Jesus, and now he had a message to relay. They couldn't shut him up. In fact, you saw the disciples who the authorities said, you will be silent. And they said, look, what are we supposed to do, obey you? You don't know what we've seen. We have to obey God. The resurrection is, is like causing a mess in the civilized world. Now the authorities themselves, the rulers and powers are being put under the foot of the resurrected Christ. And even his own disciples are saying, we don't report to you, we report to Jesus. So John, in that same vein of obedience, writes this letter to the early church, the seven churches scattered throughout Asia, which is again, modern day Turkey, that whole region. And his Easter message that got thrown him into prison was everything to him. Even from prison, he still won't shut up. But he's writing these letters to the churches because it's so critical, it's so urgent. You have to know what it is that Easter is all about. Please never forget. And so he writes to these churches in verse 5, in verse five um, chapter 1, saying, From Jesus Christ, this message comes. From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. Listen to this, the firstborn of the dead, 
he refers, refers to Jesus. And the ruler of the kings of the earth who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. All powers now, even with just that opening title of who Jesus is, all powers are overthrown. They're done. Those powers that use violence and coercion and manipulation and threats, they're done. Even those powers that kill, that put people on crosses, have been overpowered. Those who are locked up because of the news of the resurrection, like John on Patmos, these powers are put down into submission. They can't stop the news that's coming out. And now listen to how John describes you. He writes to the churches. This is how he describes you in verse 6. And made, this same Jesus made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. Did you all know you were priests? If we had enough robes, we'd all be wearing these things. Kingdom of priests. I wish you could see the glory of the office that you bear because of the resurrection. I wish you could see what it is that Christ has done in you. That's why we wear these robes, actually, so that you could see the beauty that Christ adorns you as well with his resurrection. Priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen, he says. And then in verse 7, he says this, look, exclamation point, look, notice, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail, so it is to be. Amen. Look, John's message is to rattle us and say, look, don't, just because the resurrection is past, it was just, oh, that was so last week. No, 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 no. This is an ongoing thing. This is happening. Look, that one word, look, in this context with John, it actually tells you the entire orientation to the Christian life. If you want to know how to be a Christian, it starts with, look, to the one who is risen, who comes with the clouds and all authority and power. And everything you do, look, look to Jesus. Do you see him? He's risen. Can you believe in him? Man, I don't know. If you're wondering, I don't know if I can process all that. You, you actually can identify with these early disciples. It's a lot to take in. Being freed from the sin that you struggle with? Look, you're freed from it. Made a kingdom of priests? I'm just not this person or that person. I, what about the plans I have for my life? Look. Jesus is coming with the clouds and all authority to make all things new, including your own life. And you've been given a vocation to serve him as a priest in this kingdom. Seeing the wounded and risen Christ, looking to him, seeing him, would really help us make sense of all this, right? Would help us kind of put this in place and settle some things. Well, in our, in our gospel reading that we just read a minute ago, um, did y'all hear the story of Thomas? He gets a bad rap, right? We all know Thomas is Doubting Thomas, this nickname that like forever plagues him, like a bad college nickname. It just sticks with him, right? But I, here, look, and I, I get why people say, I get why that we call him this. Uh, but I think it's a bit unfair uh, because he's willing to believe. He's actually really willing to believe, but he recognizes like, look, y'all, what you're saying is a, is a lot to take in. That's a lot to believe. Do you hear yourselves? I identify with Thomas. I appreciate that this story is here. Up to this point, 
think about this. Everything Thomas has seen is pretty convincing. He, he saw Jesus beaten, killed, died on a cross, buried. He, he was there. He saw it with his own lives, with his own eyes. Thomas just wants to know if, if that same Jesus is really risen. Let me see his wounds. I know it's the same guy and not some like replacement if I can see his wounds. Wounds for Thomas, they were everything. Because he had seen those wounds being made, he now appeals to the disciples and this news by saying, let me see his wounds and I'll believe. He had to see them. He said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So seeing these wounds, it verifies, yeah, this is him. This is the guy. This is the same one. Now, have you ever heard of, if I could just compare another story here, which is, uh, is, is kind of refreshing to help us see this story of Thomas a little bit in parallel. Have you ever heard the story of St. Martin? I know y'all have heard that story, right? Story of St. Martin. That one day, uh, soldier saint was praying and someone appeared to him out of nowhere, identifying themselves as Jesus, the Christ, Victorious and triumphant, dressed in purple with gold shoes, like gold shoes, and a golden crown full of jewels. And this Jesus appears to him and says, look, Martin, it's me. I'm here to bring it all to a finish. You ready? I wanted to show myself to you before I showed myself to anyone else. Can you imagine if you had this experience one morning before coffee, right? What would you do? What would you say to that? I would probably say, well, that's awesome. We've been saying, Lord, come quickly. So, like, it's about time, Jesus. Welcome. So glad you're here, maybe. But you know what Martin said? If you're the Christ, show me your wounds. He knew how to recognize Jesus. It wasn't just Jesus triumphant. It was Jesus wounded and risen. Those nails in his hands and in his feet the scars on his brow where that crown maybe was laying in this vision that Martin had, the pierce in his side, you remember that? Show me his wounds and I'll verify that it's truly you. And that vision disappeared. It was the devil. Yikes. The wounds are everything. There's no Easter apart from the cross. We don't just like, detour the suffering and the wounds and get to resurrection life. No, it's actually through that darkness and those wounds that God saves us, redeems us. And I know that if I was to sit down with every one of you, and I know many of you in your stories, you can tell me the story of where God found you in darkness, in suffering, with some sort of vice, something that would help, was holding you captive. And somehow the grace of God, like a revelation, like an epiphany, came to you and got a hold of you and rescued you. We have those stories. Our wounds are part of our own story, just as the wounds of Jesus are how we verify that it's truly him. Can you imagine if in that locked room with the disciples, okay, we're back in that room with the disciples, and, and Jesus appears. Can you imagine if Jesus asked to see the disciples' wounds to make sure that they were really his disciples? It wouldn't have been a bad question. He warned them many times when he was with them. Show me your wounds of obedience. Show me the wounds you get for identifying with me in public. What are you guys doing in here locked up? 
hiding. Show me the wounds of those who ridicule you and harass you because of me. Well, the disciples at that time did not have those wounds to show. In fact, they were hiding to avoid those wounds, right? But those wounds would eventually come. Jesus didn't require that the disciples show him their wounds. Why? Because their wounds don't heal. Only the wounds of Jesus actually heal the wounds of others. Their wounds aren't like merit badges for Christians to say, see how much I suffer? Oh my gosh, I'm like so worthy of of you, Jesus. No, only Jesus and his wounds heal. Only they bring life. And as we're going to see in the lives of these timid, very scared disciples, the wounds of Jesus and this presence and this vision of him end up sending them into the world, defying the authorities, gladly taking on those wounds. Why? Because those wounds belong to Christ. That new life belongs to Jesus. They in whole belong to Jesus and nothing will get in their way. Thomas finally is able to put his hand in the side of Jesus and his response is that conversion response. My Lord and my God, I recognize you. My Lord, because you're my boss, you actually can tell me what to do. And my God, because you are divinity, you are the creator God. That's you in the flesh. You have come to redeem me, to save me. And Jesus' response to Thomas' confession is this. Blessed are you, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Can we see Jesus? Maybe not like the disciples did. Our faith is very unlike the faith of, the faith of Thomas in that we cannot see and touch the historical body of Christ in a locked room like he got to. But I want to say, y'all, that our faith can be very much like Thomas's faith, a faith that depends on holding the wounds of Christ to be healed, a faith that depends on seeing him for ourselves to bring faith, a faith that's not determined by our own wounds, it's not determined by our own past, it's not determined by our failures or those, those hopes that we had that never came to pass. It's not even, our faith is not even determined by our doubts or our reputation among other people or the sin even that entangles us now. A faith like Thomas's is a faith that makes everything of the wounds of Jesus and says, there's nothing I can do to whip up emotionally or religiously, like earn a faith like Thomas's that is willing to put it all in the lines, that put it all in the line if they can just come in contact with the wounds of Christ. We want a faith like Thomas's who say, let me, let me see the wounds and I'll believe. Those wounds are made present to us today in Holy Eucharist. That's the food that we're given in our own hands. And yes, it is bread and yes, it is wine, but it is the body and the blood of Jesus that by faith, when we reach out, even with our doubts, even with our veiled eyes, I struggle to see what this really is. When we reach out in faith that seeks understanding to receive the wounds of Christ, we do indeed truly receive Christ. 
we do indeed put our hand into his side like Thomas. And it is the same Holy Spirit that comes upon us and fills us with faith. Can you explain this? No, but it is. Could the disciples have explained to others seeing the risen Jesus? No, but they did, even to the point of being thrown in prison and eventually killed. Friends, we don't have those opportunities like Thomas, but we do have the presence of Christ. And by faith, we do get to behold his wounds. Can you perceive it? Can you muster up enough faith to really take hold of the wounds? Probably not. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? Let's, can you muster up that kind of like religious status to be able to really engage in Holy Eucharist for all it's worth? I've, I've talked to so many of you and you say, man, I, I really wish that I could, I could like get my mind around this table mystery. I really wish I could see it for what you all say that it really is. Well, friends, you're not gonna get there by like deducing your way to a conclusion. You're not gonna get there by going into the world and being a super nice person and then coming here on Sunday. Uh, can I tell you, you will only get there out of a desperation by faith to behold the wounds of Jesus. That's the only way in. It's the only way in. You can tell yourself as you come forward, be quiet, self. Be quiet, be still, and by faith, behold the wounds of Jesus. Those pains, those things in your past that maybe haunt you, that you come forward with to behold the wounds of Jesus, that nag you, that speak to you, you can, in the name of Jesus, command them silent before the wounds of Jesus. And when the world looks to the church and says, let us see Jesus risen and then we'll believe, it won't be a church that says, uh, let me show you Jesus triumphant. It won't be an unscathed, pristine church where we have all our stuff together that we show the world. That will not convince the world because that is not Christ. If this Easter faith is to prove anything to us, if it's to prove anything to the world, it won't be this kind of like unblemished, beautiful, pure church on our own accord. It's not going to be because we won the culture wars. It's not going to be because finally we figured out, like, you know what? We are kind of racist. And there's some systemic issues in the way that society is set up. Oh, you know, we've arrived. Now, now the church will believe in Jesus. No. Nope. Yes, we should struggle for those things. But no, the world won't see Jesus just because we've arrived. And it also won't, because, it won't be because we sit beside corrupt powers and they appreciate us that the world will come to believe in Jesus either. No. This church, resurrection, you know that's your name. If you're going to live up to this namesake and show the world the risen Christ, if you're going to show the resurrection to South Austin, it will be with the marks of sacrifice. It will be bearing forth the wounds of Jesus in obedience. Like these disciples who came in touch with these wounds and said, we'll do whatever you command, Lord. My Lord and my God, we will obey. We will align our lives to you even at great cost. Even when you command obedience to us, that's the wounds that the world will see and believe that Christ is risen. But only his wounds can bring faith. I know that's all a lot to take in. His presence here, 
the wounded and risen Jesus, the healing that he gives us this morning, the forgiveness of sins. I know some of us are even thinking, how is that? I don't understand. The authority that he gives to his church. Did you hear that part, by the way? To forgive any sins you forgive, they're forgiven. That's a lot to take in. But if you're waiting for this news of the resurrection to sound and feel normal, you're going to be waiting indefinitely. Apart from faith, you'll just be waiting. So, friends, come now in faith and see and reach out and touch the wounded and risen Jesus who is for you, who loves you, who's bringing about a new creation in your life and in this world. The same Jesus gives himself to us even now. Can we perceive it? Let's come forward in faith and see him. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.